When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Larry H. Russell. Thank you for downloading another edition of Celtics Beat. Today's episode is being brought to you by our sponsors, the home of online video tutorials, lynda.com and Casper. Casper's mattresses are premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. And to get $50 off any mattress purchase at casper.com, visit casper.com slash Celtics and enter promo code Celtics. Today is Sunday, September 13th. I am Larry H. Russell, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, presented by Linda and Casper. Inching ever so closer to the NBA season, got my season ticket email from the Celtics about their open practice. Is it me, or is it earlier this year? September 29th, I think. Could have the date wrong, but could be an idea for another giveaway. But for now, we're sticking with opening night. Enter to win two free tickets against the Philadelphia 76ers on October 28th by simply subscribing and reviewing Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on iTunes and Stitcher. Having trouble finding us? Check out our show page on clnsradio.com or simply search Celtics Beat on iTunes or Stitcher. And yes, subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know what you think of the show and you are in. Again, two free tickets opening night against Philly and of course want to catch the action all season long for not just the Celtics but for all the locals visit TickIQ.com TIQIQ.com is the leading ticket aggregator online saving you time and money with a one-stop shop for all your ticketing needs and to receive 5% off enter code CLNS for all TickIQ specials and TN tickets that's CLNS at TIQIQ.com Tick IQ, one of our many great sponsors, help keep things rolling right along here at CLNS Radio. And, of course, Solid Speed as we go all 52 weeks of the year. No exceptions, no vacations, no breaks, no off-season whatsoever. Every week of the year, we thank our sponsors for that. And, of course, the biggest reason as to why we do what we do and why this show is the quintessential source for Celtics discussion, as one of our reviewers on iTunes put it, is because, of course, you, our audience, which spans not just the New England area, not just the United States, but worldwide, the Philippines, Australia, Italy, everywhere. Thank you, as always. I know it sounds redundant, but we are truly are ever so grateful to the listenership week in and week out. We're happy to continue to discuss Boston Celtics with you, and that we will do today we welcome back Ian Thompson, longtime NBA columnist, former beat writer for the team, way back yonder in the glory days of the 1980s, now providing his feature work at NBA.com. Thank you, Ian, for joining us. And once again, thank you, the listener, for joining us as we continue to talk Celtics basketball up until the NBA season, where once again, the games are official. We will continue to talk about Celtics basketball then as well. And listen, I mention it. Every week, every media personality, radio, broadcast, TV, online, whatever, thank you for tuning in, blah, 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 blah. They do the same thing. And listen, I am tremendously honored week after week to those who take the time, who go out of their way, who target us, and not just flick on the television or the radio station, have it on in the background, but who make a point, who listen to us. It's why, honestly, we do it. It is rewarding in its own way when people write a review on iTunes, who reach out to me, 
reach out to CLNS Radio and send compliments regarding this show. And at the same time, those who do listen and say may make a critiques as well. We want that, those honest reviews on iTunes, on Stitcher. They are very valuable because we will do our best to accommodate to them. And most importantly, be true to the principles of having the privilege of having this platform that we do week in and week out when we discuss Alex basketball reaching the worldwide audience that we do. Some I know, I know the readers of CLNS Radio and those who read my works on clnsradio.com during the winter months when I write my books and my columns. I attack the mainstream media frequently, and it really comes down to the fact that I generalize them by believing that they serve a different master in which they should. They master, they should being what we strive to serve, our audience, whereas maybe they are swayed by TV deals or advertisers or certain players or player agents or executives who provide other valuable information, etc., etc., i.e. a major network that covers sports just this past week alone. Think about what you want about the Patriots. They certainly adhere to the philosophy, which I adhere to, I'm not going to lie, albeit for a greater good, where the ends justify the means. I think even the biggest Patriots backer can accept that. But this past week, it just shows how shameless uh, the mothership, the preeminent major sporting network, just whores themselves out to the biggest professional sports league in history and serves as a Joseph Goebbels-esque outlet for the NFL. It's appalling. Listen, it is very easily to manipulate the masses. It's been done for, I'd say, almost 100 years in this country now in far more important instances than sports. And it's been done in many totalitarian countries that have led to the death of millions. Sports, well, all it does in this instance, get people to hate a sports team. And likewise, in this example, Patriot fans all riled up and will show them. I think that's a little stupid. I laugh at that part because it's just so trivial. But this provides yet another example in the smallest of scales of how it's being abused and how it's morally long where what our founding fathers in this country once referred to as the fourth branch of government and one of the most crucial aspects of the almighty checks and balance system that will indirectly lead to true justice for most in this country, just how dangerous it is for anything in the media to get in bed with major corporations or the government or both. Here it is, the mothership. They are doing the work for the NFL or even when they don't and they make a charade rather than their Diligence to report all the name of ratings and all the name of cozying up to television deals, which you know is all the name of the almighty dollar. Let's get that out there. And how they do get the almighty dollar out of this? Well, duh, by advertising and promoting corporate trash, all the heinous products that are killing consumers, the things that those would do for the almighty spreadsheets. And I hope out of this, those these silly soap opera ordeals, it exposes some of these major networks and mainstream media outlets more and more, and people stop watching these WWE-like choreographed broadcasts and prints. We do everything in our power here to refrain from diluting this show into becoming junk like that, both for moral purposes and for the fact that eventually people can see through the games. One may critique points that we make, in fact, we accept that we really help it but we really strive for a presentation that adheres to the most important principles and gives the audience that can be a valuable in our 60 minutes on the air and last week we were joined by one of my favorite regulars on the show ian eagle voice of the brooklyn nets great voice for basketball tennis the nfl had a quality and lengthy conversation with him last week nearly took up the entire show if you miss it as always in the archive, Celtics Beat on iTunes, Stitcher, CLNSRadio.com. Or you can even reach out to me at CLNS underscore LHR on Twitter or by email, LarryRussell86 at gmail.com. We can discuss it. I'll pass it along. But, of course, one of the many highlights of our conversation was when we got to talking about Brad Stevens and the tremendous amounts of respect that Ian has for Brad. Not just seeing what he's done in the NBA, but dealing with him on a personal level in the broadcast meetings as Ian was doing college basketball and March Madness on CBS. As much as we know how great Brad Stevens is, watching the Celtics games the past two seasons, particularly February, March, and April of this last season, 
so we can see what Brad can do from the outside or in the viewer's eye. We hear throughout the season from other coaches and opposing players around the league. So many people on record who praise Stevens unconditionally. Check it out on Cianus Radio's coverage of Celtics games for the past two seasons on youtube.com slash Radio. Raw, uncut videos from the locker room, the press conferences to go along with the Garden Report, which will be back for its fourth season, if I'm not mistaken, this coming NBA campaign. Plenty of evidence now. The kind of coach, the kind of, I hate this word, of course, everybody knows it, asset. The Boston Celtics have a man roaming the sidelines. No question in my eyes, one of the three best coaches in the NBA. The number one thing the Celtics have going for them. And I know fans, the diehards, the casuals, and members of the Celtics brass, and maybe hopefully Brad Stevens himself, hate, hate when it is questioned that if and when a big college position does open up, be it Indiana or, God forbid, a Duke, when a position like that opens up, will Brad Stevens be tempted? I know this was thrown around in the Boston Globe last fall. Last early winter, I know Brad Stevens himself and some of those close to Stevens squashed it. And with the Celtics' success in the second half of last year, that put the kibosh in, it in itself. While the Celtics making the playoffs and clearly looking like they are a franchise going in the right direction. And in that, that created this abstract momentum going into this past summer's draft, the offseason, and now this season where most fans... Even ones that were very lukewarm over this past summer, it's, I don't want to say universal, but I'd say it's fairly overwhelming that a solid portion of the fan base, the media, anyone who follows the NBA expects the Celtics to at least replicate last season's record, be at or around 500. And there are even those that think the team can make a jump to win something like 45, 47 games, and dare I say it, challenge for the division, which I guess doesn't mean anything right now anymore. We're going to talk to Ian about that. Challenge for the division, and who knows, maybe even win a playoff series. There are not a ton of these people, although if you check out the ESPN forecast, which Cianus Radio was a part of, many bloggers, underground media members, they believe that. That collection of people... Those with what I would say have a pretty optimistic outlook on the team's chances in 2015-16 certainly outweigh those that feel the team may take a step back this year, possibly overachieve, caught some teams off guard, and did little, if anything, to improve their chances this coming season, and may very well take a step back and fall out of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference this coming season. And there's a strong belief actually in the Celtics organization from all we've heard from some of the most connected reporters that the belief in the organization is that just that if the Celtics replicate what they did last year possibly even exceed it great but if not if they are a bit worse than last year they do take a step back well then it's oh well it's about the bigger picture the grand scheme no big deal blah 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 blah, blah. and you know what I can't say that this team this coming season I actually do think it'll be a big deal if they do take a step back this year. I really do. And it ties back to Brad Stevens. One of the reasons. And for the sake of the show, we will talk about that and why. And one thing people will point to is the prior coach of the Celtics, Doc Rivers, who came here after being fired from Orlando. Still a well-regarded coach around the NBA at the time, say 0507, but nowhere near what Brad Stevens is now. Someone who some felt was the best coach in college basketball, at worst a top three to five, and is very well a top three to four coach already right now in the NBA. But Doc Rivers, as well-regarded as he was, he's nowhere near the pedestal Brad Stevens is on now in, say, 04, 05, 06, let alone 07, when many felt Doc should have not have had a job with the Celtics. Remember, as well-liked a guy like Doc Rivers may have been from a certain array of people in the NBA, he was fired from the Orlando Magic after, what was it, a 1-16 start? He had many opportunities for himself, announcing some other coaching positions, but he didn't have the basketball world on the tip of his finger by any stretch of the imagination. Case in point, him taking the Celtics job back in June of 2004, when at the time it looked like an atrocious job with a bad basketball team, Myron and Cap Hell. And at the time, key phrase, at the time, unproven owners in management. And that Celtics team, Doc's first year, they had a good year, 45 wins, a division title, bad playoff loss, but a good and semi-surprising year. 
Nonetheless, the next year, 2006, the team took a step back. Maybe a necessary step back in the grand scheme of things, and that certainly proved to be the case, but a step back nonetheless. And then, of course, they took, well, a lot of steps back the following season. Doc Rivers could afford it. The organization, there was a different perception regarding the organization and Doc Rivers. Listen, he kind of accepted it, knowing it'd be many years before he had a real team. And by every murmur that has come out, Doc and Danny had a wink-wink deal with Doc saying, listen, I'll coach these young guys, but no matter what happens, I'm coaching the next great Celtics team. I will not be a placeholder. Safe to see that deal came to fruition, and both parties reaped the fruits from that process in the end. Now, that's the case here, right? Brad Stevens, he has to take his lumps, certainly did so in his first year, not just with a lackluster roster, but a messy roster. He had that in 2014. He had that in the fall and early winter of this past season. And he'd like to think it provided nothing but stress, juggling around 12 mediocre basketball players who really did little to separate themselves from their peers. Once the roster became a bit more balanced, the team went on a nice run, etc., etc., etc. We've gone over that a million times on this show. But they had a good season, and there are now expectations this year. And with it, in my opinion, one of the hidden storylines of this year and will be how this team does with these expectations. Not grand expectations, but expectations. And I do think there is pressure on the Celtics too. Not only get better in the immediate, of course, but to continue to create this vibe that the organization is moving in a good direction. Because the moment we do all get the sense that is stalled or could be going backwards, then what is the perception of this organization? And I hate to say it, what could Brad Stevens' viewpoint be of the franchise? Particularly if the worst case scenario rises up with the Celtics taking a step back, coupled with a prime college job opening up, said prime college making a colossal push for Stevens. Boosters, an endless line of money, the whole kebab. Look, as Mr. Eagle said last week, that won't be an issue if this team continues to get better. But if they don't, and if teams don't view the assets the organization possesses, particularly the draft picks in the light that those inside management and the home fans do, and they continue to get spurned in trades, and they're still sort of miring in at around 40 wins, and just doing anything to overachieve, could his mind be altered? From afar, he seems incredibly loyal, and we have every reason to believe so. But, 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 I am sorry, other opportunities, be it lucrative or beneficial, could make anyone think twice. I don't think this is an immediate issue whatsoever, probably not even this year, but it is why I believe there is reasonable and fair pressure on this team to produce this year and why I have been so adamant about this team getting at least their roster situation sorted out so the job for Stevens can be a little less stressful and there being a better chance at being some immediate returns like there was last year while a team is still being on that long-term championship path. As I've said, there are cavalcade of reasons I feel for short-term production. Obviously, that making a situation more attractive for other players, your own players on the roster developing better, your own players on the roster having better value amongst teams around the league, and yes, making the situation more enjoyable for your coach. Championship years, those are stressful enough. No reason to waste the stress during these times as well. So listen, Brad Stevens seems like the furthest person from Nick Saban as it took so long for anyone to pry him away from freaking Butler, for goodness sake. But he had success at Butler. He's having relative success here, but success in context. Overachieving seasons can only feel so good for so long. Appropriate steps need to be continued to be made, and I would be concerned if this team took a step back the same way the 05-06 Celtics took a step back. Back then, wasn't a big deal, one iota. Now it clearly is. I think this is a far more similar situation to 1998 when the lockout 99 team slid back following momentum built in Rick Pitino's first season than it is, say, to 2006 when that team had a lot of key pieces from that 05 team go. A lot of veterans, more so, you know, Gary Payton for one, knowing what was to come. I think this time a lot of people would have a harder time accepting that, particularly that this team is now in year three of its rebuild. It's been a while now. The time has flown by, but it was back in 2013. A lot has changed in the world. I can't imagine the general consensus, which, yes, the general consensus may not mean anything to some, but it should 
the general consensus would be altered in a worse way if the Celtics do not replicate this past season at the very least. Saw some improvement from certain players on the roster. And the draft picks. Those draft picks. Yes, I know. They have a ton of value. But A, as we've seen, you can't keep jamming them down other teams' throats. Didn't work with Minnesota. Didn't work with Charlotte, from all we've heard. And the more teams spurn them, the less value they could have. Although many do expect Brooklyn to be really bad this year. And B, it has to be a perfect storm as well. There has to be someone worth acquiring for those picks, as it really isn't every day where a franchise-altering player like a Kevin Garnett, a James Harden, a Chris Paul come on the market. It is an NBA Live or some video game. You don't mean to say you that, but just reminding those of the obvious that you can't just line it up and trade for who we want. So yes, there has to be some sort of urgency, not a 1987 Boston Celtics-like urgency of competing now, but not a 2007 one either. Yes, it is about the future, the title years, blah, 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 but there has to be continued progress just to keep that positive vibe that currently surrounds this team, keep that going and hopefully expand upon it, as it all be for the organization's benefits. That's where I've continued to stand on this. All for an array of reasons that I've discussed ad nauseum on this show for the predominant part of the summer, even before the summer, from player development to player value to the perception of the franchise from the outside. And yes, having an environment that is attractive for valued employees. So we'll throw this out there. Facebook question of the week presented this week by our good friends, good friends over at CLNS Radio, American Farmers Network. And to me, with Sally, only about one month left of farmer's markets here in the Boston area. That doesn't mean we can't eat fresh, certified, organic, 100% grass-fed beef all season long, provided by networks of small family farms throughout our great country. Just this past week, courtesy of the Daily Mail over in the UK, Norwich researchers came to a conclusion that steak could be as beneficial to your heart as quitting smoking if you eat it daily, literally. 100% grass-fed beef is some of the most nutritionally dense food on the planet, Yes, there is a big difference between steroid-injected cattle raised on factory farms that you might see at your local grocery chains. And I can tell you to experience the difference for yourself with the meat provided by AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Shipped right to your door. Not just beef, but pasture-raised poultry and pork as well. Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com so you can get the benefits of eating and living healthy. Just like I'd like to think the boss of Celix, of course, they'd get the benefits if they were all eating grass-fed meats from AmericanFarmersNetwork.com, but of course, continuing to make small strides even throughout the rebuilding process. But I asked the audience, what are the chances in your eyes that Brad Stevens is the coach of the Boston Celtics next championship team? Love to hear your response over at Facebook.com slash Beat. That's Facebook.com slash Beat. Love to hear from you. And we'll also pick up on the this on the other side of the break as we'd love to hear what our guest Ian Thompson of NBA.com says he'll be joining the show once again on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Cruise back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. That's right. Seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis in the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool in the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jesse's Girl, the ultimate 80s party band, and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of core like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, we're going all out by building an 80s video game arcade with Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, and of course Pac-Man, showing movies like Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink, and there'll even be a VJ contest. Don't forget to pack your best 80s looks because we're having a prom night, a movie costume party, pajama party, and neon beach party. You can't miss this. Sailing from February 28th through March 6th, 2016 for the most gnarly vacation ever. For more information, log on to the80scruise.com or call 844-384-8080. Welcome back on into Celtics Beat. LHR still here with Ian Thompson, NBA.com. Joining us right now, our interview with Ian is brought to you by DraftKings. 
Your season-long fantasy football lineup is locked in and ready for action. But you don't have to wait until Week 16 to get paid. Put your fantasy skills to the test starting Sunday at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site, where you could kick the season off by winning $2 million. It's the biggest fantasy football contest ever. $10 million in prizes are up for grabs, including $2 million for first place and $1 million for second. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. It's fantasy football on demand. Play where you want, when you want, with the players you want, and turn your love of football into a life-changing payday. Just pick your players, pile up the points, and pick up your cash. That's it. You've never experienced football like this. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code New England to play for free for a shot at part of $10 million in Sunday's Millionaire Maker event. Enter New England for free entry now only at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Thank you, DraftKings, for sponsoring this interview with Ian and Ian. Been a little bit of some time, but welcome back into Celtics Beat. Ah, great to be with you, Larry. Thank you. So I discussed in the opening something with Ian Eagle, who brought this up on last week's show, and that's the pressure for the Celtics, maybe not to quote-unquote win now, but to at least continue to make progress, not just for the sake of getting better, but because he still feels there's always a chance, even if it's an ever-so-slight one, that Brad Stevens could be pried away by a major college. Two-part question. Do you still think there's a chance... Stevens could be lured away, and if so, how much urgency does it place on the Celtics organization to get back in the thick of things from a competitive standpoint, and even possibly sooner than originally anticipated? You know, I don't think, I I think that has to be respected. Um, Not feared, but respected, that this is a guy that has options. He's earned them. That's why he's coached the Celtics in the first place. And nothing he has done as coach of the Celtics has set that back. In fact, it's only enhanced his value. Um, Not only the way he had them play last year, as they traded away their their supposedly best players, the team got better. And the team responded to him. He's definitely turned the corner as an NBA head coach. Uh, I don't think there isn't a university in America that wouldn't want him. Uh, so I just think all that, it's a matter of respect. Um, and they've clearly turned the corner now on this whole idea of tanking, which is, uh, to me, a red herring anyway. I don't really agree with the term, uh, especially as it applies to the Celtics. But they've turned the corner on that. They're clearly not going to be trying to lose games after making the playoffs last year and making their team better by trading for David Lee. So I think they're on the same page uh, maybe more than ever in terms of what you're talking about, Larry, in terms of uh, trying to win and be competitive. They're going to be a better team this year. And their way forward now is to develop these young players to win games, to make them look good. And then maybe Danny can pull off that blockbuster that he's trying to replicate from 2007. So you do think the Celtics will be better this year, and there's a lot of people whom we respect in the media and even amongst the fan base as well about the team and basically replicating what they did last year and or even possibly even getting better, which I think is I'd be very pleased just as a fan alone. I mean, could you even talk even a little further about the importance for the Celtics to take a step forward? I discussed in the opening where the Celtics and Doc's first year, they had a really good year. I mean, they were in 2005, they won the division. But then they took a step back, and it was sort of like, you know, ah, okay, that's just a part of the grand scheme of things. Last year, the Celtics have a good year, 40 wins by, you know, relative contexts. But it would, I think it'd be pretty detractable if they did take a step back this year. Let's say, let's make it fun. In your eyes, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most urgent, of course, on a scale of 1 to 10, how important is it for the Celtics to either replicate what they did last year or even build upon last season's 40-win total? Oh, I think I think it's a 10. Um, now, there would be a great silver lining if they didn't. Uh, if they were to fall back and get one of the top three picks in the draft, um, and get one of those guys. Uh, I couldn't, off the top of my head, I couldn't even tell you their names right now, but I'm just told by everybody in the NBA that there's three potentially great players in this draft. And so if, if, if they were to have a, a couple of bad injuries and, and something went haywire, 
uh, well, maybe they could get one of those guys. So maybe that wouldn't be so bad at all. But to me, um, you have to have a plan. You have to have um, an ambition in whatever you do. Philadelphia, they have their ambition. Uh, and they have, they've, they've achieved it. <laughs> a lot of people don't like it, but they've done what they set out to do. The Celtics, to me, are, are clearly on the track now to develop their young players, to not try to get one of those top picks, but instead to develop these guys along the lines of what they did last time they were great, and develop the young players, make them attractive to other teams, and then move in with a, a big trade. Uh, to try to go and get somebody and hasten the process. And don't wait for these young guys to become great, but pool these assets that they're building and turn them into a great player by way of a tree. Um, what's going to work against them this year is this idea with the TV money going up, just about every team in the league is going to have cap space. So the cap space that the Celtics would, have, would be able to have with a lot of these young guys on rookie contracts uh, it, it, it's not going to be an advantage. Everybody's going to have cap space, um, and that that hurts a little bit in this in this idea of what they're trying to do. But overall, I think they've got a plan. They look like they're committed to it, and I think it's a good plan. And it's going to show growth year in year out. They're going to be better um, just because their young players are going to get better, and their whole organization is built to player development now. They've got a, a, a coach with great college experience, a lot of energy, still a young guy, he's very ambitious, has a lot to prove, his staff and he are all on the same page, very hardworking. Um, they, they provide leadership to the players in terms of passion. These coaches are very passionate, and I think that brings out the passion in the players, or at least it resonates with them. So I just put it all together, and I, I just see the, the whole program be very coherent, Look, uh, this is all a lot of inside baseball, though. Uh, people look at the standings, they're going to say the Celtics are far away. They don't have a great player. Right now they don't have a guy that would start for a great team in the NBA. Not one. They don't have one player that would start for a great team in the NBA. You couldn't say that last year, last time when they were rebuilding when they had Paul Pierce. So um, there's a long way to go. We shouldn't be overstating it. But if you look at the the program and where it stands and what's trying to go it all makes sense to me. Let's go back to sort of what we were originally uh, originally said. We were talking about the importance of making strides, and you talk about how you know the team fell into a top three draft pick. Obviously, that is a great scenario in itself, and the fact that the team could secure a top three draft pick. Of course, we all know that it never works out that way. We're Bostonians. Oh. We're fatalists sometimes. I'm sort of would look at the worst case scenario here. How, um, and I don't want to use this word, how catastrophic would it be if this team had, and I'm sort of using more historical analogies once again. You could talk about uh, Rick Pitino's first year, 98, but then they took a huge step back in 99. Everybody was just, none of the young, like the younger players got worse. The team just did not gel. How catastrophic for lack of a better word would it be if this team we all expect them to be a little bit better this year or at least the same from last year none of these younger guys really showed any improvement and they actually even fell back to say the dreaded 34 to 35 win total and fell back to that part of the pack in the nba uh i actually well it would be catastrophic with any nba team uh no one would be happy about it anywhere if that kind of thing happened to their program um, but I, I think it would be less painful for the Celtics, actually, than it would for another team because they don't have the big investments in the players. So they could move anybody they want. Uh, David Lee's going to expire. He's a big contract, but he's going to expire. They, they are not stuck on any one guy. Uh, in uh, most NBA situations, when the team goes south like this, you're stuck with your star player who's making a lot of money and you're holding him responsible for the downfall of the team. And there's nothing you can do. All of a sudden, his value is gone because the team stinks and it's his fault and there's nowhere to go. But um, the Celtics are in a very fluid situation. They're built to be fluid. That, to me, that's the whole point, that if something goes bad or if something goes great, it can react either way. 
And I think they're operating on the idea that things are going to go great, they're going to improve, and as they improve, they'll be able to take whichever group of players they can put together and try to make a team or try to make an offer for a trade, at least make an offer. Who knows if they can make it work? Remember how hard it was to make the Kevin Garnett trade work and the Ray Allen trade work. So um, to me, it's in the, the downside for them is not as great as it would be for another team because right now they, they're not great. They just aren't. Uh, we can't say it enough. They don't have a single player on their team that would start for any of the contenders. They would even um, compete to start for any of the best teams in the league. And that means they have a long way to go. But, but again, I, I think you're raising a great question, Larry, because it, it points out the alternative that there, there really isn't a lot of risk here right now with this team. There isn't a lot of risk. One of the things, though, too, that I'm sort of looking at, I want to sort of spin it, obviously, to him now, the more positive aspect is you actually said earlier, and I definitely kind of wanted to get into this once you mentioned that, that you actually expect the Celtics to be better uh, this coming season. Now, obviously, I don't, you don't, none of us expect them to win 55, 60 games and compete for a championship. But better would be, geez, what, 45 wins and dare we say it, compete for the Atlantic Division, which you know has never really been competitive in recent years. It doesn't really take that much to win the division. And you seem to be pretty high on David Lee. I hear a lot from our listeners, LHR, why do you not talk about David Lee on the show? Could you please, if you want to mention or even talk about it and discuss how David Lee could help this team and make the team help be better, which is what you seem to believe here. Um. To me, he, he might be the best passer on the team from day one. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch how they play through him. Um, uh, when he comes off the floor, he's going to be the one guy I think fans are going to miss. They're going to miss. They're going to notice that he's not out there. The team's going to be different without him. Um, look, we're not talking about a great player, but he fills a need, and that's going to make him more valuable maybe than he's, he's ever been. Well, I wouldn't just go that far. He was valued when he was an all-star, and he was playing a lot of minutes for a very good Golden State team. He was valuable then, but he's going to be a difference maker for this team for sure um, because he can do so many things. Um, he, he, his passing to me is what stands out. Um, but he's very smart. He's a good scorer. He can do a lot of things with the ball. He's not The ball isn't going to stop with him. He's going to make quick decisions, which is going to fit perfectly with the way they are. Um, when they're in trouble, they're going to be able to go to him and he's going to be able to make something happen for him. And I'm not talking necessarily a one-on-one move, but the, the, the floor is going to be spaced a lot with this team because there's no one that uh, there's not, it's counterintuitive. Usually you space the floor with a guy that demands a double team, but the way the Celtics did in the second half of last year, the way they're going to do it again this year, I'm sure is with the quick passing and uh, the quick pace and uh, I, I, I think there's going to be options here for, for him to, to make a difference when he does get the ball. And, and then you're never going to know when he does get it who you're supposed to be trying to shut down because, again, this is going to be an equal opportunity offense. He, he can feed anybody. He, he doesn't strike me as a selfish kind of guy, so he, he'd be interested in making the hockey assist and creating a basket but not getting the, uh, the credit for it. Um, I, I just see the guy uh, on a team that has a lot of very good young point guards but no true point guard. I see the guy making a big difference as a playmaker, um, being the leading scorer, uh, probably the leading rebounder on the team. Um, you know, he's going to – he's not great defensively, um, but they, they're – a team defense uh, with with the way they just scramble and play with a lot of energy. And those guys will be doing all of that around him, and that's going to help too, uh, especially when you look at the defensive-mindedness of their backcourt. That's going to that's gonna really help their defense. So I just see a lot of upside with this. It's almost like a one-year tryout for him and for them, and then they can see if, if, uh, if he's going to have value to bring him back or whatever. But for the meantime, I, I just think he's going to make a big difference 
with his playmaking and also the leadership that he's going to provide to a very young team. Are you concerned that there may almost be a little too much, though, at his position where a player possibly like him or Amir Johnson or whomever, Jared Sellinger, Olenek, maybe can't make the kind of impact certain fans expect of any one of those singular players because there's almost too much of them and none of them really separate themselves in terms of being able to impact the game from each other? See, I, I, I really, that's a great question because I totally see it the other way. Um, in a lot of these NBA cities that are rebuilding, they clear out playing room and give it to young players and, uh, and the team loses. And what is the young player learning? He's not learning how to win. He's, it's almost like a, a D league experience in the NBA. I mean, and I, I think that's the opposite here. There are a lot of young players on this team, but no one's going to have anything handed to them. They're going to be competing every day in practice against each other to get on the court. And uh, James Young wants to be a player. Well, he's going to have to beat out everybody else. He just doesn't get it automatically because he's a first-round pick. There's a lot of those guys around here, and he's going to have to beat them out to get onto the court. And I think that's a great environment to try to grow young talent. Um, they're trying to win games. They're trying to have a winning record and make the playoffs. Every game's going to matter. It clearly matters to the coach. Clearly, he wants no part of losing games on purpose. And they've turned the corner on that. they put that behind them. And now I, I just see a lot of competition every single day. Nothing is given here. Uh, all these guys are going to have to earn it. Some guys are going to be left out. But it's not going to be dead for them. If they work harder, they can get back into the rotation. And of course, there's going to be injuries and possibilities that way for, for young players to get on the court. So I, I really do not buy this idea that they have too many young guys. I think, uh, I think it's going to create this great frenzied environment that's going to play in the Brad Stevens' hands. And again, look, I'm not saying that this is like a world-beating team or anything. I'm just saying it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be moving forward. They're going to take the next step. Uh, and maybe they can approach 45 wins. Uh, maybe, maybe they can finish at 500 or a little over it. That's what I'm imagining, you know, the low 40s, but above 500, that kind of a small window. Not competing to win the division, but being a solid playoff team. Uh, that will be very hard to play in the first round because of their style and because they're just, they're just going to go for it. And there's going to be no fear, and uh, it's going to be unpredictable. You'll be able to scout this team a lot, and they're still going to be unpredictable because the ball's going to fly around and they're going to play with such pace. So it can be a little bit different from other NBA teams. It's going to be a really interesting year to me. And I just see a lot of good in this. I don't see a lot of greatness, but there's a lot of good here. I'm certainly now becoming on a complete island when we talk about sort of the almost the over-competitive roster, if you want to put it on a positive spin, or if you want to put the negative spin on it, you can say roster glut. But I've been on an island every single guest all year. They said, this is great. This competition is going to be exceptional. I've just been worried because I looked back to last November and December where I thought there was just too much of one thing or too much of a few things, and none of the guys had really separated themselves. It looked like that from afar, from an outsider's point of view, that added a lot of stress on a Brad Stevens, and thus there really weren't any results on the court from a win-loss uh, record uh, point of view. But then as soon as that roster sort of cleared out and guys, you know, there was more of a rotation that was sort of set, I thought there was a better chance for chemistry to develop. So that's where I'm concerned regarding that. And we talk about some of the young guys and they're competing. I do think that there could possibly be chemistry issues when you have a David Lee in a contract year, when you have an Amir Johnson, essentially a contract year because he doesn't have a guaranteed contract next year, when you have Jared Sullinger in a contract year. You have three guys who all think they could be the starting power forward. Actually, even Tyler Zeller's up for an extension. He's another big man for that matter. Uh, if they don't start playing, and let's say the team loses a couple games, which we kind of expect them to do regardless, every team loses some games, does that not really make it prime for some players to start getting upset, complaining to the media, complaining to the coach, and just adding all this you know, stuff behind the scenes that the team or any team doesn't need for that matter? 
Oh, I think all that's possible. There's no doubt. Um, but I, I also believe going into the season that these this kind of dynamic uh, of things going bad could happen in every NBA city. Um, could it happen in Cleveland? Probably not, but there was a lot of talk last year, a lot of negative talk. Kevin Love, is, is he working out? And J.R. Smith and, uh, you know, the, these things exist everywhere. It could have happened at Golden State last year when David Lee didn't play hardly a minute, but he didn't make a stink and uh, Iguodala didn't complain about coming off the bench. So this is just the this is just the NBA life. This is uh, this is the risk uh, that every team is exposed to going into the season and during the season about chemistry and personality and the ambitions of the players are being, are being damaged and how do they respond to that. All those things are true, but they're true universally and everybody understands it. And I'll go back to this again. If, if, if things do go bad, I think the Celtics, it, it's not going to, it's not going to be that damaging. Uh, because first of all, look, what are we talking about with this team? This is a team that to me can win in the low forties this year without a star player, without a go-to guy or a player that, that would play for a great team that they don't have that. So. How much is there to lose, really? Okay, if, if it were to go bad, it's, it's, it's the fall. The fall is not going to be that hard because they're not going to be falling from such a high place, and the expectations are not that high. And secondly, um, like you just pointed out, the the two guys with big contracts—they're basically on one-year deals—and all the other guys. If Jared Solinger wants to complain that he deserves uh, to be playing big minutes. Well, he should earn it. Uh, and if he's complaining uh, about his contract or about his opportunity and he's not getting it, how is that going to help him get a new contract next summer? I don't, I don't see how that would help him at all. I mean, it'd be really dumb for him to do it, and I wouldn't see him doing it. Um, so in, in the bigger picture, I think it's leaning more in the direction that everybody is going to be trying their best for the team, or at least is going to be trying to appear to be trying their best for the team. They're going to want to create an appearance of teamwork and team-mindedness to get their next deal. If they're a cynical person, then they're, that's how they're going to be leading because they're going to see what happens to guys like Rajon Rondo, who in contract years are not seen as being helpful to a team and all their options dry up. So, I, I just, I, I, of course, there's risk. There absolutely is, but I, I think they're headed in the right direction with what they have right now. You certainly definitely bring up some good points there. I, regardless of where, I mean, I agree or disagree with every single guest I've had on the show this whole summer and what we've discussed. I think that's unequivocally the number one storyline of the Celtics going forth this season, especially in training camp. Is is the roster situation going to be good? Will it be bad? Will it be neutral? I think that's going to be the number one thing I'll be watching for in these early months of the season. We're talking about team building, and I remember the discussion we had, I believe, back when you were on in February when the 15 Celtics were showing some signs of life before they went on that run to the playoffs. And I compared this franchise possibly to going on the path the Pacers took at the turn of the decade around 10, 11, and 12 when everyone was sort of kind of getting on them, like, geez, what are you doing competing for these eight seeds? Well, it turned out to be tremendously beneficial to them in their rebuilding process back then. Is this now sort of the blueprint mainly for rebuilding franchises as opposed to what certain segments of fan bases throughout the NBA, which is just, you know, sit around, twiddle your thumbs, and hope, you know, the moon and the stars lie and, you know, some some uh, franchise player falls right in your laps via most likely the draft lottery? Uh, I, I still think that this is this is the Celtics are in the minority the way they're doing it, uh, and I'm not so sure that if Danny had it his own way that they wouldn't have lost more games last year. Uh, there would have been less uh, pressure to try to win last year, and they would have tried to get one of the players that he liked in the draft used last year to get a guy that could be a great player. Um, what worked for Indiana? So much of it depended on Paul George becoming an all-star and an all-NBA guy. 
you know, the kind of guy that you think you can build around. Um, the Celtics don't have that. Um, is Marcus Smart going to become that guy? Who knows? Uh, if he is, we need to see, we'll probably see signs of it this year. If he's going to become that kind of a player, it's going to show up this year um, because it, it usually does. Um, but they don't have that guy. And uh, I, I just don't see a lot of teams trying to do it this way. Uh, I think for most teams, the idea still is to get that high pick in the draft like the Lakers did last year or uh, like Philadelphia has been doing uh, with great success. They've been getting those high picks with great success year after year. They've incurred a lot of uh, damage doing it, but they've done what they set out to do. Um, to me, the, the the model everybody still talks about within the league is Oklahoma City and trying to build it the way they did. Um, Milwaukee has done tried to do that uh, a little bit, and uh, I, to me, that that's the model. That's that's the way most teams would set out to do it. That's the way their fans would want them to do it, actually, and try to score that uh, player in the draft that could instantly have you talk about this guy becoming a great player. The Celtics don't have any of that. They didn't have any of it last time, but the difference last time, and we can't overstate it enough, they have Paul Pierce. And they just don't, and Paul Pierce was in his prime at that time, and they don't have anything, anyone like him right now. So to me, Danny's doing it his own way, but uh, it worked last time under different circumstances. And it's just going to be a lot of fun, I think, to watch this team grow and to see if he can make it work again over the next year or two. Yeah, you brought up a lot of great points there, but I think one of the things that jumped out at me right away is what you said right at the very beginning. And a lot of the very connected reporters with the Celtics, particularly over this, these past few months, have insinuated that there were members in the organization. We also had a point at Danny Ainge that there were some that really weren't all too thrilled of the Celtics making the postseason last year. I've I've actually argued that I, I still I argued awe is all as that was going down last year. I loved it. Even when they got swept, it was like, no, this was great. It was a great season. But, I mean, could you want to even further elaborate in the fact that there were many in the organization that weren't too thrilled? Well, for the for the long term, you know, I think it's got to be really different if we were inside uh, the organization as they're scouting for the draft. And maybe there were a couple of players that they just really loved, thought could be great players and were gettable at the draft. You know, not top three or four, but the guy Zanya who went to the, um, uh, I think he went to the Magic at number six. Maybe they, maybe he was a guy, you know, or um, Justice Winslow, we all heard about him, or Stanley Johnson, or whoever it is. You know, there were guys, maybe there were guys that they loved and they thought they could get. And uh, and the way the season went, if they'd lost just three more games, they might have been able to get one of those guys without even making a trade. Uh, so maybe that's how that's how people in the front office would look at it. But none of these things uh, is done in a vacuum. These, these things don't happen in a vacuum. They, you've got you've got your best asset right now. If you're Danny Ainge, is Brad Stevens. So in other situations, you'd be trying to keep a, a great player happy and growing. Well, in this case, Danny's trying to keep a great coach happy and growing and growing into his job as an NBA coach and getting him to believe in the future. And that trumps any idea of trying to lose and take a chance on getting a player that may not work out anyway in the draft. So uh, the burden of hand here is Brad Stevens. And they've invested in him. They've doubled down on him. They're now in a, in a mode that fits his talent of developing players with passion and hard work on a daily basis. That's all Brad Stevens right there. And because of Brad Stevens, I, I see them having a very coherent program where they have to all be on the same page now. They're, they're on this track now. There's no turning back from it. They're all in. And they're going to develop the young players and see where that leads them. 
That's sort of what I was discussing also earlier on in the show is the importance of keeping Brad Stevens happy. And that's also what we talked about last week with Iowa. And he brought that up. And I think that is sort of another underrated storyline and really puts the pressure on the continued growth of the team. Is Yes, I do believe he is the most important piece of the franchise. Okay, we only have a few minutes left. And we thank you so much for our time. i got to ask you one more last question here. It was sort of the only NBA news of the week. Another restructure of the playoffs, basically eradicating the divisions as far as I'm concerned. If you don't, you know, now it's just completely, you know, one to eight seeding. Uh, where do you sort of come down on that? Do you think that's, that's good, that's fair, or do you think it sort of minimizes the relevance of the regular season, which is what I feel? You know, throughout the season, if I pick up the newspaper and I look at the standings in the NBA and they break it down to divisions, I always take an extra minute and figure out the conference standings because that's all that matters in the NBA. That's all that matters. In baseball, it's different. Uh, in football, it's different. But in basketball, uh, the seedings for the playoffs, it's its the most important thing. That's what it's all about. And so I like this better now. Um, uh, there should never be a standings in the NBA that doesn't, uh, you know, go 1-15. to 15. It should just – it. That that's what matters in this league. I like them keeping the divisions geographically just to point out the potential for rivalries with other cities. I don't think those rivalries really exist so much anymore. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't want to see them going away from the division. Uh, I mean, you just look at the Atlantic division. These are economic powerhouses in this division. And it, it it kind of identifies each team within it uh, as being from a certain part of the country and representing a certain something. Uh, you Or you represent the Midwest, you represent the Southeast. These are all regions with different personalities. So the, the, the divisions hearken to that. But all that matters is the seeding, and uh, it doesn't matter – now to the Celtics, especially now, about trying to win the division. It's just trying to do the best you can in the East. And I, I look at them as a team that should be looking at uh, seven and six or maybe even five, number five uh, in the East, depending on uh, how competitive, how much parity there is in the East underneath Cleveland, which is just going to run away with the whole thing. But the rest of the East – how much parity is there going to be, and where will the Celtics fit into that? Uh, that's that's going to be an interesting thing for them as they look at these new standings. Yeah, see, that's sort of where I feel. I sort of have to disagree with you when you talked about the divisional rivalries. I'd like to see a little more of an emphasis placed on the regular season and just making the regular season more interesting. And with that, I think you need to almost not create divisional rivalries, but at least have it back to where it was in the 70s and the 80s, where even if teams weren't really all that competitive, at least winning your division mattered. Now that doesn't even matter at all anymore. But uh, Ian Thompson, NBA.com. You can follow Ian on Twitter at Ian Thompson, pretty easy to know. And, uh, Ian, thanks so much for taking the time. We look forward to doing it again, man. Uh, I appreciate it, Larry. Thank you. No, thank you once again, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us back on Celtics Beat for the second time in 2015. We will come calling again in 2016. Thank you again. Thank you to our sponsors to this show, Linda and Casper. Casper's Mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress using two technologies, latex and memory foam, which come together for better nights and brighter days. It's a comfortable mattress that has just the right sink and bounce. A Casper mattress provides long-lasting comfort and support, and you can buy it easily online and completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period, so you don't have to lie down in a showroom. Get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king-size mattress. And you can save an additional $50 as one of our audience members by going to casper.com slash Celtics and entering the promo code Celtics. Casper, one of our many great sponsors of this show. They can help keep things going here. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Premium Beat, and Steph Legrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat. And you can like Celtics beat on CLNS radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics beat. Also check us out on Google plus Celtics beat on CLNS. 
We'd love to thank our guest, Ian Thompson of TheNBA.com, as well as our sponsors, Linda, Audible, Casper, DraftKings, and American Farmers Network for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.